Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. I, I gave him a blessing, and, and in that blessing, I, I felt very prompted to promise him that he would never have, he would never have stomach problems ever again and that was just a very a very clear thing a very clear prompting that I had and and then after that blessing he you know I gave him a hug I told him everything was going to be all right and then he wrote he tried to remember everything that that was said during the blessing he wrote it down and he just he simply never had another stomach problem after that welcome back it's Jordan and Zach and today we are joined by Clark Wilson Hello. Clark joins us. Elder Wilson. Elder Wilson. There we go. Zach's <laughs> mic was off. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Clark joins us from, what, what was the name of your mission? Uh, Brazil, Curitiba, Sul. And you came home unexpectedly because of the coronavirus. Yeah. So you're sitting here in Mesa and the coronavirus hit. What, what, what was it like as a missionary and being told that you're going to go home? Yeah. Give us like, Oh man, give us the like last couple, like, I don't know, last week on your mission. Had you heard about, have you, had you even heard about the coronavirus? I got a meme from a friend <laughs> <laughs> and I had to ask him what's, what's coronavirus. And he's like, dude, you don't know what coronavirus. This is like in January. And I was like, no. And he's like, bro, this is like taking over the world. Like not the world at the time. It was pretty much just in China. But the, it was about like the first the first case case in the U.S. and I was like, oh, okay, you know, whatever this you know, this will probably blow over, you know, and, and you know, Ebola was a thing, and it kind of just disappeared in a few months. But Ebola wasn't that contagious, which was, you know, the difference. But yeah, I got some memes, and then <laughs> and then like everything just kind of started to shut down there were government cars in the neighborhoods, like with speakers saying like, stay inside, fiking in casa. And so that's when we kind of realized like, huh. And then the mission president gave us like a bunch of money to like go to the store and buy food reserves. And mm -hmm. that's when we were like, this is serious. He gave us like 200 eyes per missionary wow. just to go to the store and buy like a week's worth of like food, water, soap, you know, everything. So what did you buy? Food water. Yeah. It was like it was like beans, rice, um, just like everything. Wow. Um, you know, like noodles, water, toothpaste. And so you guys were paper. You guys were self-quarantined. And I you said at this time, like it was kinda Brazil was already feeling it a little bit was there a lot of fear or was it just like you said there's government cars driving around where you did you still not understand what was happening or you're like okay this thing's getting a little big how like were, were you on lockdown we weren't we weren't actually we never f entered a full quarantine okay we kind of entered like a social isolation so it was like every every you know we, we would visit people and we were like we could tell that people were really hesitant to let us in yeah and so we were like, man, this is, this is just, isn't going to work very well. You know, this is going to give the missionaries a really bad rep. 
And so the mission president was like, all right, stay inside as much as you can, unless you guys have to leave. Um, then you guys can leave. You know, that was much different than one of my friends in Lisbon who is only allowed to leave once a week to get groceries. My goodness. And so, so it, it was, it was a lot more laid back also cause he was in Europe and of yeah, course Europe yeah. was getting hit a lot harder. You know, they were like, by the time I had left Curitiba, I think there were only like, you know, like 40 cases in the whole, in the whole like state that yeah. I was in. So by the time you got your 200 hay eyes to the time where you get a phone call saying, Hey, pack your bags. How long was that? It was about four days, four or five days. Um, yeah, it was like a Sunday night. We, it was actually, that was the transfer day. And so we were expecting a call from the zone leaders and they called us and like, all right, we're all getting so, transferred uh, home. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is right before that, they said, all right, you guys are both staying in the area. Um, you know, cause they're not, aren't gonna be a lot of transfers. This, this transfer, people aren't going to be moved around a whole lot. So yeah, you guys both staying in the area. We're like, all right, cool. We hang up the phone. We called the sisters. I was, I was a zone leader for like, for a zone of all sisters during that time. And so I, I called the sisters and I was like, all right, so, you know, this is what's happening. What's really ironic about the situation is we, we kind of like jokingly told the sisters, you're like, oh, all the Americans are going home. Oh, really? And then like five minutes later, the assistants called us and said, actually, we just got done talking to the president who just got done talking to the area presidency and all of the Americans have to go home. And we were like, <laughs> wait, what? No, I was like, you guys are kidding. I'm like, no, this is serious. You, you guys need to pack your bags like tonight. I'm like what? <laughs> and we were just so confused. And so we called the sisters and we're like, you know, they, they believed us. They, they didn't think that we were joking. And so we just didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> you believed us, right? So, yeah. Okay. How, how was that for you? Were you like, what, what is going on? Cause that, to me, that has to be pretty surreal. Like yeah. how many Americans went home with you? It was about, it was about 45% of the mission. Wow. I think of the Americans, it was probably about like 37%. Wow. Mm-hmm. And were you on an airplane full of like Curitiba, Porto Alegre, where you've like, it was just all LDS missionaries. Yeah. yeah. I was wow. on a, just a chartered flight. The fir- at least the first two flights were chartered. And then the, the one from, um, you know, the, the one from California to, to Arizona was just, just a regular just a flight. flight. Sheesh. So, so, so by the time, we're talking about a four to five day window that you're like, okay, we'll stay inside. And you're thinking it's just going to kind of breeze over. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Hey, pack your bags. You're going home. You're leaving tomorrow. Uh huh. What was that? How did you, how did you receive that information? Were you just like, okay. Or were you, was there a lot of emotion in it? I was just so confused because I had been saying for days and for weeks, like, I felt so bad for my friend in Lisbon because I was like, oh man, he's going to get sent home. Cause like he's in full quarantine. He's in Europe. I'd already, I'd already heard about like, we were checking the updates on the, on the website. Like, oh man, all the missionaries in like Europe are getting sent home. And I was like, dang, my friend is going to get sent home. And then like we get sent home and he's still in Lisbon. <laughs> he's, he, I think he's at day, day 40, 43 or 44 today. My goodness. Of just strict quarantine. Wow. And so, yeah, it was just such a, I was like, wow, of course I'm the one who, who's, who gets sent home. 
but yeah, it was, it was surreal. I didn't, you know, it was one of those things that happened and then that happens. And then you don't, you don't actually believe that it, that it happened. Shock. Yeah. And uh, I'm assuming in leaving, did you have any final words with your mission president? A few. Um, obviously there were so many people leaving that it was hard. Yeah. But the mission president, he gathered everyone together, you know, like six feet apart in a bunch of chairs in this big uh, gym. And he kind of left, gave some parting words. That was, that's kind of when everything hit me. That's when I realized like, wow, I'm with, I'm just in a group of people right now who, you know, in less than 24 hours, we're going to be on a plane and it's over, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still going out to the, I'm still want to go back yeah. to the mission, regardless of if I go back to Brazil or if I serve in the States, but, you know, just knowing that I was saying goodbye to, to the ward, to the mission president, it was just really, it was really sad for me. I, yeah, I didn't I could imagine. home. I could imagine. So Clark growing up, were, were you always planning to serve a mission? Yeah, it was, it was never really a question, um, as to if I wanted to or not. Um, there was never an, an you know, an anxiety for serving or, a you know, a really big, should I serve or what if everything goes wrong? I always knew that it was a, it was a responsibility and obligation that I had, you know, uh, like there was something that somebody said in my seminary class a long, long, long time ago. I don't even remember who this was, but <laughs> they said, you know, imagine the best thing in the world and you happen to have it. And why wouldn't you want to share that with everybody? And that, that was something that I actually saw in my mission with the recent converts is, you know, the recent, the recent converts, once they convert, they're like, wait, everybody needs to know about this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, we need, we need to leave right now and go like knocking doors. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, let's do it. That, that fire is awesome. Uh-huh. So Clark grew up, if both his parents served missions, it's very well known in the war that his father served in Brazil. He's very, yeah. he, he's, what does that, what does that mean? He just, he, he'll say something in Portuguese and you're like, what's that? And then, yeah. and then you find out like, oh, Brother Wilson served in Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Cause that was going to be my next question is you said it was always like, there was never really a doubt. So you, you obviously had good examples growing up of missionary work, obviously both your parents having served a mission. Mm -hmm. So your dad served in Brazil. Where did he serve? He served in Manaus. Manaus and your mom? She served in the Bordeaux, France. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, those are some, uh, when both mom and dad serve missions, yeah, those are some pretty good missionary examples good, yeah, growing good, up. Good parents uh -huh. too. So you open your mission call and it says Brazil. What were your thoughts? First, I, th I think my dad was more excited than I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I Understandably think, so. Yeah. I mean, that's so cool. I, I've never seen him smile more in my life. His, his eyes were wide open. You know, he was filming it. He was saying like, Caraca. <laughs> he was super excited. So I was like, your dad goes to sleep smiling. He's always smiling. So that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's for sure. And so you, and growing up, your dad had spoke Portuguese to you. So you already mm -hmm. had kind of a handle on the language. Yeah. So, I mean, did so you speak it or do you just knew a couple words or like... Like on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. How would if, you grade yourself? If I forced myself to speak it, I could speak. All right. You know, I, I, it was much more natural to hear it mm -hmm. because I, I, my dad spoke more Portuguese to me growing up than English. Oh, really? Like significantly more Portuguese. Huh. And so I, you know, he would speak fluently in Portuguese to me and I would understand everything and I would just respond in English because it was easier. 
Oh, interesting. And so every once in a while I would respond in Portuguese and, you know, it would be harder to have to think about it. But once I got into the MTC and um, anybody who's been to the Sao Paulo MTC knows that, you know, they're all the Americans have no idea what's, what's yeah, going yeah. on. They're all using the <laughs> translators, but I just, I just sat there. I could understand what the, what the MTC presidents were saying. I could understand what um, most of the Brazilians were saying. There were some, the thing is, is my dad got his accent from the North. Yeah. And so, you know, people from Rio, I could not understand yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those cariocas. <laughs> but yeah, it was, for the most part, I understood everything that was, that was going on. The MTC and, and it, it seems like a lot of missionaries, their number one concern going in is, am I going to be able to learn this language? Mm -hmm. I imagine you had a lot more confidence. Were you pretty confident going in and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to learn Portuguese. What, what was your biggest concern going on your mission? Mm -hmm. It was definitely a concern of how will I be able to, to, communicate with the people because I, I have a lot of crazy ideas you know like when I talk to people I I Clark's I, very philosophical I, I've I, noticed that about I him. think <laughs> there are, there are some words that I just don't know the Portuguese translation you know and so I feel like I can't express myself to the degree that I that I would like to mm. in Portuguese and so I, I had to learn a lot of you know, uncommon words, maybe in Portuguese that people understood, but just so that I could, I could show people the depth and the importance of what we were talking about. That was, that was a minor concern. Um, I guess another one was, was I, I was very involved in music before the mission. I, I played cello a lot and I had competed and it was a very, really big part of my life. And I knew that in Brazil, it's very uncommon to play cello. <laughs> and I didn't really have a lot of chances to play. And it kind of, it made me worried because, because when we, my, my family and I, we took a trip to, to Europe a few years before, I, I think it was about a year before. And we were there for only two weeks, but after the first week, I, I felt really, really anxious because I hadn't played cello in so long. I hadn't, you know, done anything musical. I was listening to music, but it was, it was kind of making me go crazy a little bit. And I was afraid that that same thing would happen to me once I went, once I went on the mission. And so I kind of tried to prepare myself as to, as to like, you know, I hope, I hope I don't get this, this really big anxiety of not playing cello for an extended period of time. And that never happened. I, I just kind of left and of course I missed it because it was something that I loved, but it wasn't anything that, you know, um, kept me from doing anything. That's definitely a, an, a common yet unspoken blessing. I think that you get as a missionary is these things that you think you're going to miss. They just mm -hmm. fade yeah. away and you move on. Yeah. So you, you, while you're living in Brazil, what were some things that you, you came to love about the people in the area that you served? Man, I, I think just the general openness of the people was one of the most like strikingly, it, it was very, very new, you know, to just, to see somebody and you can just start talking to them and they'll just like tell you everything, you know, they'll just like t start telling you about all their problems. I don't know if it's because you're wearing like a tie and a white shirt, yeah, but people were very, very open there. You know, they were very hosp hospitable. hospitable. Yep. I, I, even if they didn't like you, like some of the time, 
I remember there was this one, there was this one lady who did not like the church at all. Um, she was very, very evangelic. She was part of the quadrangular church and she didn't want anything about the book of Mormon or anything. But whenever we would pass by there, she would just without even hesitating, like open up the gate and let us in. And she would lay out all this food on the table and we're like, Oh, before we leave, can we leave a message? You know, we're pulling out the book of Mormon. She's like, no, no, not that much. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, I don't want to hear anything. And she's like, I just wanted to feed you guys because you know, like this is what Christ would do. So like people there were, uh, were very, very hospitable. And so I, and I, I just saw that um, very different. You know, you get back to the LA airport and everybody is just kind of walking out of my way. Like yeah. get out of here. <laughs> yeah. What, what, yeah. You mentioned that she, she had shared food and that people would share food. Was, was there any foods that you came to love Brazil? Oh man. Uh, Panji queijo. Panji really queijo. Good. That's good. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a cheese bread. It's like cheese and bread. I don't really even it's know. It's like how puffy. To, yeah. It's hard to explain. It's like a little, it's like a little <laughs> ball. I like cheese puffs. No, it's like actual, like it, it, it's like a, like bread. You can slice it, but it's puffy cheese. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Pongee queijo really means like bread of cheese. What else? Pongee queijo. Come on. Keep oh, those man. going. Beans and rice. You know, you got to love the beans and rice. Did you, you actually love day. the beans and rice? In the beginning, it was it was much more manageable. And then over time, it was like, you just had so much of it. You know, maybe sometimes twice a day, but certainly every single day you'd have beans and rice. And let us be clear, it's black beans yeah. and rice. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's also this really good drink, terere. Terere. That I really liked. It was really good. It's like a, it's like a bush or like a tree that they, they cut off the leaves and the the limbs, they dry it and then they put like a flavoring on it, like lime or, or they'll make it minty or something. And you put it in the cup. Kuya. They, yeah. Like gotta a, put it in the kuya and drink uh-huh. it with a bomba. Bomba. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you've seen them, right? The metal straws. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. That's what yeah, you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. It was like metal filtered straws and you just put like a juice in there and it's really, really good. Yeah. So. Or Zach, do you have something? No, to say? I was just going to say, obviously, I think what I heard when you're saying, you know, you, one of the concerns that you had was you wanted to get to the point where you could be yourself and communicate effectively to those, to the people, right? How long, how long did that take you that you were like a hundred percent confident? Cause obviously you went into the MTC speaking Portuguese. So you already kind of like, you already hurdled that fence. So how long on the mission did it take you to get to the point where you were like, okay, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Cause you served in Curitiba and he looks like he could be from Curitiba, like blonde really? hair, blue eyes. Like, yeah, it's, it's very European down there. So, yeah. But, but yeah. How long did it take for you to get to the point where you're like, I can communicate effectively and I can be myself as a missionary. I think it was after I had my first companion. My first companion was an American and I had, and I was with him for two transfers and I learned a lot from him, but of course we spoke a lot of English um, just cause it was easier. And then after that, I had a Brazilian companion who, whom I was training. Oh, and wow. So I, you know, I had to be an example and he was shy. He was really shy and he was just, you know, really big Brazilian, like 300 pound Brazilian. Oh, wow. And he was shy. <laughs> and I was his trainer and I had just got out of training and my Portista wasn't like perfect. And so I needed to, I needed to show him everything that I, that I needed to show him. 
And, and I really just, I, I really had to take more of like a, a, a leading role because before that, my, my companion before that was just so good at communicating with people. You know, he knew how to make everybody laugh. He knew exactly what to say. And a lot of times I just kind of stood there, you know, like I didn't know when to come in the conversation, but that totally changed with my next companion. I had to be the person who was always talking. The outgoing one. The instigator. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a big shift on your mission. That's, yeah. Totally. That's when things become serious. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. I just remember like, it was funny. The guy that I felt comfortable with was a cello player. When that, when that, <laughs> when that switch happened to me, I was with other crow Shaw and he was a, he was a cello player, but yeah, he was shy. And, and to make that, to flip that switch and to be the instigator that, you know, kind of flips your world upside down. And the yeah. fact that you did that, what Early. your third transfer, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. So, yeah. so tell us more about your trainer and what kind of impact he had on you. Oh man, he was, he was great. Um, we, the beginning was a little rough because, well, I remember, um, we were driving to the mission office and we were with the mission president. And this was right after we got back from the airport after I had left the MTC. So this is before you even signed a companion. Yeah. I was kind of companionless. I was just kind of with the people from the MTC that had been on my same flight, you know? And so we were about to get to the mission office where we were going to be, we were going to get our trainer like a few hours later. I was a little nervous, you know, I didn't really know what to expect or anything, but I had, I was hoping that I would get a good trainer and I knew that whoever I would, I would be with, I would be with them for a reason. Um, and, and as we're pulling into the parking lot, there were these two missionaries waiting outside of the gate because it was locked. And so they're waiting for someone to come in. And the mission president comes in and he, and he points to the American companion waiting outside. And he says, that's the, that is one of the best missionaries we have in this mission. I was like, that's interesting for a mission president, president, mission to, president say that. to say, <laughs> yeah. you know, and he's just a little short American with glasses. And so I, I kind of kept my eye, my eye on him and, and immediately, you know, I, I, I saw him and in the, in the office and just like, you know, 110% energy, just like straight, you know, caffeine in this guy's blood. <laughs> and he was just so excited. He was, he knew all the missionaries and he only had two transfers left. They happened to be my- Oh, so you sent him off too. Yeah, I sent him off. That's so awesome yeah. though, that you got him at that, at that point in his mission. Uh -huh. I trained my last two transfers and it was like, oh, yeah. I gave my quote unquote, my, my son, I gave him everything I yeah. had, like- all my words of wisdom and everything. So that's yeah. awesome that one, not only you got that right off the bat, but then you went to be the trainer, <laughs> your next transfer. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I, I learned so much from him. Um, and I, and all I wanted to do was just to work as hard as I possibly could. I was like, I am, I've left everything to do this for two years and this is what I'm going to do. You know, like I'm going to utilize this time as much as I can. And, and when we were driving in the bus, we were riding on, on like a, it was like a two and a half hour bus ride to the, the area that we had been both assigned actually to whitewash, which for anyone listening means that two new missionaries, two new to, missionaries who never have never been there before. Been there before. It's very exciting. It's, it's intense. We, I say exciting <laughs> air quotes. It's, it's uh -huh. humbling. Well, again, so you, know, again, you, you've experienced all these like milestones 
on your mission, like within the first like transfer, right? Yeah. You, you're killing your companion, you whitewash in an area, and then you train. <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> That's was, awesome. It was it was it was great. And 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 while we were on the bus, I told him I was like, hey, you know, like I'm ready to work hard. I don't want you to slow down for me or anything. I want you to just like I I'm ready to just go all in, you know. And he was like, wow, all right, let's do this. And of course, like a few days later, I get really sick. Oh, really? <laughs> and I got like a, a fever of 103. Oh, wow. We had to go to the hospital, but I didn't tell him, you know, I just, I was just, I felt like I wasn't, I was like half alive walking through the streets. <laughs> I had my big jacket on and I was just shivering. It was raining and we were in the hilliest area and I just was in so much pain and he was walking really, really fast <laughs> and my legs were sore and I was like, you know, it hurt to talk. And so every time I talked, I would like, you know, scrunch up my face because my throat hurt so bad. Mm. And then after a while, I was like, dude, I need to go to the hospital. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. So I, I took my temperature and of course it's like 102. And then the next day I rose to 103 and he's like, all right, we're going to go to the hospital. And um, I got two injections in in the rear, <laughs> nice. <laughs> which was a new experience. So what was it? Do you know? Or was it just like... It probably wasn't know. anything serious. It's just like, we're just gonna have to do this. We've always wanted to do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, it passed after that, but. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to the mission and your experiences that you had, what what was the time that you were able to find someone and teach them? A memorable moment. Yeah, like, is there anyone uh, that you found that you definitely you. will remember? Yeah. Um, wow. I think. The very first person that I think of is is um, somebody I met in my first area who has an incredible story. Um, he, this was right after we got there, so the area had been whitewashed, and the and the elders before us had met this guy like two weeks before they were transferred out of the area. And so, we get in this area, and there's like a note on on the desk, and it says like, "Visit this guy," you know. Visit, visit this guy. His name is Hubens. And he, he was so curious and, you know, like what the missionaries were doing in the area, you know, he always saw them walking around and he had had a bunch of negative experiences with the churches there. Um, you know, you know, like pastors trying to perform miracles on him and, and, and he wasn't really buying it, you know, like he wasn't, I guess, complying with them. And then, and then they would get upset at him and then he would just be really confused and then there were other churches that he liked a little bit more, but he always just felt this really big confusion. And then he saw the, these missionaries walking around and he was like, oh, you know, like maybe it's worth talking to them. And so they invited him over. Oh, he, he, he stopped him in the road and, you know, he's like, hey, come by my house and we'll, we'll talk. He's 52. And um, once we got there, we, we kind of continued teaching him and he had such a big desire to learn. And he he just read the Book of Mormon like crazy, you know, like a 52 year old Brazilian who's like a smoker, like a heavy smoker. And he, and he was, he was intelligent too. Like he, he understood what was going on and, and he wanted to be baptized. And the problem was that he smoked a lot ever since he was 12. Mm. And so we, we asked him if he had the desire to stop smoking and he said, yes, he said that he had tried, you know, dozens of times to stop smoking because his, his, his wife doesn't smoke, his, his children don't, but he just couldn't stop. And so we offered, we offered to give him a blessing and he, he accepted. And when we gave him this blessing, um, we promised him that he would receive the strength that he needed to stop smoking 
if he would continue to prepare himself to be baptized, if he would continue reading and praying. And he said that after, after we left that night, he, he just knelt down on his couch and he said a prayer, you know, really just begging for that, for that extra dose of help that he, that he hadn't had before that extra strength. And after that day, he didn't smoke one more cigarette. He just completely stopped smoking. Um, he gave all the cigarettes to his friend who <laughs> was needing some, I guess. It's a good friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take these, man. <laughs> and, and we were just in shock. You know, my companion and I just looked at each other. My companion obviously was like, this never happens. You know, usually you have to work with people like, all right, you smoke 20 cigarettes yesterday. Let's, let's smoke, you know, 18 <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. But he, he, he just wanted to stop smoking. He was ready to just, to just change. His conviction was a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and my companion walked out of that, that, that visit just boggled. He was so confused. He was like, he was, he was actually worried because he was like, everybody has like a problem that they need to overcome before they're baptized. Mm -hmm. Like we, like we still don't know what this guy's problem is because obviously it wasn't smoking. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, I'll quit. Yeah. 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 And we're like, all right. And he was like, this never happens. And so, of, and of course, Hubens was baptized like two weeks later. And this, this is, this is in an area where there were, there were only about, about six members of the church in that area. And so it was like the bishop, the bishop's wife, the missionaries in the area, and about three other people in the congregation. So it was really, really small. Um, and, you know, that this was just a really big testimony builder to me. It's not about, you know, and, and a question that we have that people asked us a lot in the areas was, Oh, how many people go to your church? You know, they, they wanted to, the people were interested in like a, a pastor with like, you know, 400 people in the congregation. Yeah. But this guy was like, no, I just want the truth, you know? And, and he understood that the, that the book of Mormon was, was true. And so it doesn't matter how many people are in the congregation. You know, that that's like the least important thing that matters if it's true or not. And so he, he's actually the world missionary leader of that little group now. And it, and it was super cool. He was, he was, he was, um, he was called, um, to be the ward missionary leader while I was still there. And we would have like, we'd have like meetings with him yeah. about the investigators <laughs> in the area. Like, you know, like a month after he was baptized. That's so cool. And he was like, Hey man, when, when can I do some visits with you guys? And we're like, you know, let's, let's do them like tomorrow. And he's like, all right. And so we would, we would go out on the roads, you know, visiting people with this guy who just got baptized and. He was so excited. It was like, it was like, it, it was such a mind opening experience for me. I, I don't think I'll ever forget just his, his, um, his motivation to just share this with everybody. Um, it was, it was the coolest thing ever. He, he's the first person that I think of. And there, there's another family that I also think of that, the, that I met in my second area. And he, um, you know, like, um, Curitiba is very, 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 it's got a really big European influence. And so a lot of, a lot of Polacos walking around, a lot of white people. And so we were, we were just kind of walking the road and we saw this, we saw this lady who was, who was 18 and we stopped her and we started talking to her and, you know, it turns out her family was, was of German ancestry. And this was on a Friday. We asked her when, when we could stop by, if we could stop by. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm free on Saturdays. We're like, all right, can we come by tomorrow? She's like, sure. 
And so we stopped by in the next, the, the following day. And we have a very, very good lesson with, with her and her older brother, Vinicius. Her name was Poliani. And then we, we asked them if they'd like to come to church the next day. And they said, yeah, we'll come to church the next day, you know, on tomorrow on Sunday. And so they came to church and it was, it was a really great experience. We came to find out that Poliani was the valedictorian of her school. Like she's a very, very intelligent person. We walked in their little house. They live like, like nos fundos, you know, like behind like four houses. Um, you know, there'll be a house on a street and like behind that house, there will be another house. And if you need to get to that house, you have to knock at the house in front of it and then like yell the name yeah. of the person behind the house, you know, like it's like four houses deep. Yeah. It's, it's, a but weird there's concept. only one access to the street Uh huh. and it's through all of the other houses. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, there was no chance we were going to find this family if it hadn't been for us talking to this person kind of randomly on the road. And they, they understood the message so well. They, they were a really big reading family. Um, so Poliani was 18. She had a younger sister named Sabine who was 12. And they, they're total, you know, bookworms. They just, they just read all the time and they read the book of Mormon like crazy. And I, once I introduced, you know, like marking the scriptures in different colors and color coding, they were like, Oh, what? <laughs> you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> like no way. You so can draw in this book. Yeah. And we came back and everything's all like underlined and marked and stuff. And we were in a group chat with them and they were always sending us like scriptures that they liked. And you know, they, they wanted to be baptized too. And it was, it was definitely more of a fight to get them baptized. You know, they, they were really, really nervous to be baptized because their family had really close connections to, um, the pastors of a different church. Mm. And so once they were baptized, they basically had to confront the pastor of this church and explain like what happened. And their mom who, who almost didn't give them permission to be baptized um, after they were baptized, didn't even go to church for like, for like four weeks. Cause she was so terrified of what the pastor would say. Um, that mom was actually very interesting because she didn't, she didn't like, you know, the Mormons, uh, because the, the missionaries had been by her house like a year before and she just had a really bad experience with them. Um, she thought they were super. Were there any times on your mission that you felt like you were protected by the Lord? Hmm. Yeah. Because there's stories that you probably haven't told your parents. Oh. And I, I know there's stories that I have that I haven't told. <laughs> well, since I have. Um, and I think, I don't know, there's a lot of mothers that listen to this podcast and I think they're might not have a full view of what happens on the mission. And even though these scary things happen overall, you're, you're protected. Uh-huh. Do you have any stories like that? Yeah. I, w- I was robbed at knife point once that wasn't the best experience, <laughs> but we were, we were actually doing a division with, with some other 19 year old in my first area. And this really, really small guy, like, you know, like a, you know, I, no one can see me, but I'm a really thin person and he was really, really small. And he, you know, we were just walking. We, we, it was raining. I was holding this giant umbrella and this guy in a hoodie kind of came up to us and, and asked for the time. And we were like, and, and Ian, which was the member who we were with, he said, it's eight 30, you know, n- not checking his phone, which is what the, you know, the robber wanted us to do so that we would, we'd pull out our phone and he would say, okay, give me that, you know? And so he just said eight 30. And then the guy in the hood kind of just stood there and he had something in his hand that he was covering up with his thumb. 
And he kind of stood there and he was like, I need you to give me your phone. And that's when there was like a 30 second silence, like just nothing was said and it was raining and I was just holding this umbrella. <laughs> it was like my third week in the field. And I, and I just looked at my trainer and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and he's like, don't say anything. <laughs> oh, he said that to you? Yeah. He's like, don't say anything. And then I just look at this guy and I see that he has a knife in his hand. And I was like, oh, okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm just staying out of this one. And like, <laughs> your parents have heard this or have not? They have. I, okay. 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 I didn't, I didn't put this in like any of my emails or anything. I, okay. I told some of my close friends and, and, and a few family members, but um, I did, I didn't want to put this in my group email at least, but yeah. And, and you know, maybe two minutes pass by and Ian is holding a backpack. Two minutes of silence. Of two minutes, of, two minutes of just like rain and just, just like kind of looking like at each other. It's all, what is it? Is a like a Western standoff. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it was, who's going to draw? Yeah. I didn't know what was going on for the longest time. I thought this guy was just like, you know, like wanted to talk to us. And then I saw that he was trying to rob us. And then, so Ian takes his backpack off and is like kind of fumbling through his backpack. Like, okay, we need to give this guy something. He pulls out a little flash drive, which had like a bunch of church videos on it. And then just like, it's like, you know, sell this for 10 hay eyes. And the guy just was like, you know what? Fine. Like these guys don't have anything that I want. And, uh, he just kind of left. I was actually that day wearing a very expensive watch, which I don't <laughs> know why I brought on the mission. I don't know how he didn't see it or why he didn't take it from me. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't really can, you know, so what if my, if my watch gets stolen? I, I was more concerned about the knife in his hand. <laughs> yeah, he kind of walked away, walked away. We actually saw him like a week later. We were crossing a corner um, and we almost brushed elbows with this guy and he was holding a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah, this guy was just trouble. You know, we kept running into him and he just never talked to us again. So I think uh, there was definitely the hand of the Lord in, in, the, in that experience. For sure. Super annoying. And she was like, I don't want any more Mormons in my house anymore. And then when Poliani came home and was like, mom, I'm so sorry, but I invited them back. You know, she was super mad, but we, we eventually became really, really close friends with this, with this family, with, um, especially the mom and the mom, we became such close friends with her that she would make us dinner whenever we came by. And she had like a total change of heart. She didn't end up getting baptized, but, um, that was most likely just because we, you know, we got sent home. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> the seed was planted. Yeah. And she, she was on, you know, that last day before we left Brazil, they were one of the last families that we got to see that we got to spend time with before we left. And right before we left, she was the only person crying the mom. Um, she was, she was so sad. She was like, man, I'm going to really miss you guys. You know, like, are you guys going to come back and visit us? Like, don't forget about us. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was really sad and that was really touching to us. Um, yeah, the people there are just, they're amazing. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the, probably the, 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 the two families that I remember. So Sabine and Poliani, they, they were baptized and they're, they're incredible. They have such a, they have a very complex understanding of, of things. They're very, very cerebral and intellectual. And I think that the gospel definitely appealed to that side of them. You know, it wasn't something, you know, too easy to understand. The, the gospel is simple but it also has lots of facets. And once you kind of connect all of those, it's, it's such a, you know, it's a very existential experience. You know, you realize like, wow, this is so cool. How, how everything connects. Mm -hmm. It's all true. And they had so many of those experiences. Um, 
I feel like I'll probably talk about them a lot <laughs> because <laughs> no, well, obviously they they impacted your your mission quite a bit, and just as you impacted their life. So yeah, I mean, if there's anybody to talk about, it's people like that. Yeah. And uh-huh. you mentioned how they were discovering these different facets of the gospel. And it was just this beautiful experience, mm-hmm. but like more looking for looking inwardly, like what discoveries did you make on your mission that maybe you didn't know before or got a new perspective on? Oh, I've always been one to argue with people. I've always argued with like my teachers and stuff because I, if I hear something that I don't agree with, I, I don't back down like at all. And so that was something that I really had to, that I understood a bit better. You know, like people talk about Bible bashing on the mission and how you don't Bible bash, you just bear testimony and walk away. And I just couldn't get myself to do that. <laughs> <laughs> like if people, if people disagreed with me or would like tell me that I was wrong, I would just, I would stand there and I would just keep talking to them. And I would, yeah. and I, and I, I wouldn't back down. I wouldn't get angry at them, but I, I, I would show them that I was representing something that I believed to be true. And I, and I kind of felt like if I were to just walk away, it, it'd be, like me telling them that they were right or that I didn't have, I didn't have enough with me to, to, to defend what I believed to be true. Like the second that I was challenged, I had to walk away. It just, it just, to me, it didn't sound very, um, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so when people, you know, I, I had people who, um, they would stop us in their, in their car in the middle of the street and they would say, you know, come over. I want to hear more about your, your philosophy you know, like what you guys think about. And we'd say, all right. So we would stop by, great, a new investigator. And they'd walk out like with their Bible in their hand. Yeah, yeah. They'd open up their Bible. That's and when say, you know, when they have, yeah. when they're opening. Oh man. A Bible Jesus. A Bible Jesus. Yeah. And oh man, I, I really had to understand how to not, how to not do that because it wasn't productive, but okay. I, I learned a lot of how, of how other people thought you know, in their different religions. And that really helped me fortify my own testimony. Um, I actually participated in an evangelic, like, like meeting. That was a terrifying experience, but what happened? What, Oh man, you got invited to a church or something. Yeah. Or? We, we got, we got invited to a, to a, like a house meeting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and we were, we were there and it was great at the beginning. Everyone was super nice to us. We made a lot of cool friends and then we all stood up and they were like, all right, we're going to, we're going to say a prayer now. And we're like, okay. And then they just turned on this music and everyone just started like yelling really, really loud. And my companion and I just like kind of, you know, we just like stood there and bowed our heads and just didn't say anything. <laughs> and this went on for about eight minutes. And then this, this huge Brazilian on one side of the circle crosses and like comes over to my companion, my American companion, like puts his hand on the back of his head and like starts whispering in his ear and like swaying back and forth. And like, I'm training this guy. <laughs> He's terrified. He has no idea what's going on. You're like, on. this is normal, man. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience, but I just, there were a lot of experiences like that, that really, that really strengthened my testimony of just, I, I guess, seeing the different aspects of the, of the, you know, diverse churches that, ex- that, that existed there. Um, there were a lot, there were a lot of things that, that I realized and with, you know, within my own testimony, um, I really, I really came to understand the importance of, of covenants, um, how one, how symbolic they are and two, how, how wonderful it is that we have them. I think that, you know, God is very smart. He's the smartest thing that, that, that exists. And, and he knows that, um, us humans do very well with, with, with symbolism and with objects and, and things to do that remind us of, 
things that are other things that are important. That's why he doesn't just tell us to remember everything, but that he gives us things like the sacrament or like baptism. You're like, oh, you know, I did that act and I, 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 I felt good when that happened. And, and I, I, I just think that things like that are very remarkable. Um, and uh, I, I just really grew an appreciation for, for covenants, mm -hmm. especially seeing people make covenants for the first time. That was like, like mind blowing for me. I, it was the coolest thing ever because, you know, I, I've always kind of like wondered, um, like, I, I wish, I wish I could, I could know what exactly what it was like to not have the gift of the Holy ghost. Like in this very moment, if I didn't have the gift of the Holy ghost, what would it be like? And, and, you know, you can't like go back and not, not get baptized. And then, <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to do that, but, um, you know, you see the, you see the transition in people's lives, you know, not being baptized and then after baptism and, and they, they explain to you all of these differences. Like, wow, now that I've been baptized, I think differently about this and this and this. And, and, and now whenever I do this, I don't feel very good inside. And you're like, that's the gift of the Holy ghost. You're like, wow, that's super cool. You know, this spirit, this person, maybe without perfectly realizing it is experiencing the gift of the Holy ghost. And they're like, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. And so I, I just, I, I really understood the, the, the reality of covenants and, and the real power that they have in our lives. And it's, it's such a, it's such an incredible gift. It's like, it's free. All you have to do is, is know that it's true and then act on it. And then you have every single blessing that's, that's promised to you. And it's written down like that. It couldn't, it couldn't be easier. It's like, you have to do these things. And if you do these things, you will receive these things. And it would be the best thing that you do in your life. And then some people love that and they go along with it. And then some people, they just maybe don't fully understand and they miss out on those blessings and it makes you so sad. Um, but that, I, I guess that that was something very, it was also something very motivating for me to, to find people who are willing to make those covenants. Um, just thinking about like the potential, like, okay, I really like this person that I've been teaching. I really want this person to progress so that they can, experience the joy from, from making these covenants. Yeah. One of the scriptures that comes to mind and I shared this a lot on my mission and it was, it probably is one of my favorite scriptures is Mosiah two forty one. Uh huh. And I, I, I can almost say it yeah. verbatim in Portuguese, but you know, where Benjamin is talking about like, Hey, like look at those who obey the commandments and look at how blessed they are both spiritually and temporally. And this is what you get that you might have everlasting happiness, never ending happiness. And remember that these things are true, you know, and it's so awesome that, you know, having a lot of people for having grown up in the church. And like you said, maybe taking the gift of the Holy ghost for granted and then witnessing it on your mission, mm -hmm. it, it really um, changes your outlook on how, on your own spirituality. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, dang it. And, you know, I, I, I can witness the Holy Ghost working with these people and I can see how important it is in their life. And like you said, all I have to do is check these boxes and I can call upon that spirit at any time and, and get the revelation that I need. It's, it's amazing. You know, the small and simple, through small and simple things, great things come to pass. Yeah. yeah. So I got, I got a question though. So we talked about the gift of the Holy Ghost. Were there any, again, having myself served in Brazil, one of the big things that 
was different with the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was the priesthood. Were there any experiences that you had on your mission specific to the priesthood? Yeah, this is, this might be the most, um, I, this, this experience is very, very dear to me and it, and it, it's certainly the most testimony building experience to me regarding the priesthood. Um, my last companion, Elder Hendrickson, he, um, the one that I trained and then was stayed another transfer with, we, he was experiencing some health problems. He had like a, like an unnamed stomach problem that he had never been able to get figured out by any doctors or anything. And he, he just had a weird stomach. He didn't, he didn't feel the sensation of like feeling full. Um, he, that was just not a thing for him. Like he could eat forever. Really? He, he just, he had a constant appetite. And so he had to really watch like everything that he eat it, that he, that he ate, eated. Wow. <laughs> but something that was, that was also difficult was because he, every, almost after every single meal, he had to take this medicine so that he wouldn't get these like intense stomach pains that would always send him to the hospital. You know, this would, it would always happen to him. And so knowing that this was a problem, his, his family sent him with, with a bunch of this medicine and one day just ran out, you know, and he'd already tried to go off the medicine once and just like stomach pains, like really, really bad, you know? And I remember walking down the street once when he was in like a lot of pain and he just like looked at me and he was like, dude, if I don't, if I don't get home, I, I might go to the hospital. And I was like, all right, look, we're going to go home. <laughs> we're going to take care of you, you know? And so I knew that this was a problem. And then one day he just runs out of his medicine and, you know, and we're in Brazil and this is a medicine that's not very common, even in the U S and he was terrified. He was, he was, he was like, dude, I might die. You know, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I, the next time I eat. And he was like, I, I, I need, I need to ask you for a blessing. And I was like, all right. And so I, you know, we, I, I gave him a blessing and, and in that blessing, I, I felt very prompted to promise him that he would never have, he would never have stomach problems ever again. And that was just a very, a very clear thing, a very clear prompting that I had. And, and then after that blessing, he, you know, I gave him a hug. I told him everything was going to be all right. And then he wrote, he tried to remember everything that, that was said during the blessing. He wrote it down and he just, he simply never had another stomach problem after that. I mean, he, you know, I, I would kind of ask him after a meal, like, you know, how are you feeling? And he's like, I feel nothing, you know, things fine. He's like, this has never happened before. <laughs> wow. Like, wow. wow. And, and this is stuff that, you know, doctors could never explain. His, his mom has similar problems with her, with her stomach. And, and that was just a huge testimony builder to me, which is like, you know, Elder Henriksen, he had chosen to serve the Lord. And he, and when that decision started to put his health at risk, you know, the Lord just was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll allow you to keep fulfilling your missionary purpose. He was a great missionary and he, he had such a desire to keep, to keep working and to keep serving. And I think that that was really what, what, what made it possible and what allowed him to, to receive that miracle. Um, that, that was one of the most remarkable experiences of my life. 
was just seeing how, was just seeing that, that whole situation play out. That's awesome. That's a beautiful experience. And you said that was, that was recently? Yeah, this is like two months ago, three months ago. Mm -hmm. I think it's just real quick. I always, whenever we ask that question, you know, we're always like, Hey, or you're ever asked that question. What was the most spiritual experience you had? A lot of times we think about the time we receive the blessing rather than when we give the blessing that there's so much to gain through being worthy to, to be, to partake in that ordinance that both parties can benefit from that. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You had mentioned your, your mission president earlier. What, what what'd you learn from your mission president? Like what's something that you'll always remember? Like, Oh, this was, you know, I don't know, a lesson that he had taught you. He was a great mission president. He was very, very charismatic. Was he a native or American? He was American. And he, I felt like he had, you know, like all of doctrine and covenants just memorized. <laughs> he just, he, his, his thing was like modern revelation um, doctrine and covenants, Pearl of Great Price, Book of Mormon, you know, he, he, that was just like his main, main focus. And he, he really, he opened my eyes on a lot of, on a lot of, uh, on a lot of things. Specifically, I, I, I remember something that he, that he taught, he was talking about the, the vision of the tree of life and how Lehi, the prophet was standing next to the tree and Right, right after he made that comparison, I was like, well, then why, why does that matter that, that the prophet was standing next to the tree of life? And it was then when he's just started to cry and he just said, I know that the prophets, like the prophets of God stand next to the tree of life. Like the prophets are, are what we need to follow to get to the tree of life. Um, they are literally the people with the authority, with all of the priesthood keys, begging us, pleading with us to, to follow them. Um, because as we follow the prophets, we, we follow the savior. And that was a really cool testimony builder to me because I, I never thought about it that way. You know, you know, Lehi standing next to the tree of life and what that could possibly mean that the prophets are kind of like the modern day iron rod, like modern revelation is, would be that equivalent. So that, 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 that was something that, that touched me, something that he taught. Yeah. Were, were there any members that you connected with that helped you maybe in a moment when you're feeling overwhelmed or, or tired as a missionary? Yeah, there was, um, in my, um, my last area, there were these, I say members in quotation marks because they, they hadn't been baptized yet because one of them was waiting for some divorce papers to go through, but they, they've been investigating the church for two years and they would have gone, they would have been baptized like a year and a half ago. And they, they serve more in that ward than like anybody else. They're like the cooks for all of the events. They go to like all of the youth events and they cook for all the events and stuff like that. And every, every Monday night they would, they would host dinner for us at their house and they just served like crazy. And, and whenever we needed something, they were like our go-to, our go-to people. And it was, it was incredible. And they, they, they still haven't been baptized. They're still waiting for the divorce papers to go through. They should, oh. they should be through in the next few months. Um, but they, they were definitely a really, a really big, uh, a really big help to me. Um, 
Yeah. That's awesome. And it sounds like they've probably forever changed the way that you're going to look at missionaries as a member and you know, mm-hmm. want to reach out and serve them. Yeah. Wrapping up, is there anything else you want to, to share about your mission from the first eight months of it or? I don't know. It was, it was a great experience. Um, I definitely would encourage everybody who has the opportunity to serve, to serve. I don't think that there's any, there's anything more life changing than serving a mission. It's definitely a humbling experience. It's definitely something that, that will not be easy in, in a lot of different ways, but it's definitely, it's certainly the most rewarding thing that you could do, at least in this period in your life. And you'll learn so many things about yourself and about the savior. You'll get so much closer to the savior. You realize how real he is. He was a real person who walked on this earth and that he had such a divine plan and that he knew it and that other people, other people knew it too. And that's the gospel that you're preaching. You're wearing his name on your shirt always. And like, you couldn't be doing anything more meaningful than that. That's like the coolest thing that you could do. And I, I found so much joy in that, in being able to represent him in his church, especially in like the flurry of churches that kind of happens in Brazil. You know, there's a church every, every street corner or more. And yeah, people, people finally find the truth. And a lot of the time, a lot of the times you're the reason why they do. And it's, it's the best feeling in the world to know that you had made yourself worthy enough for the Lord to work through you. Not that you did it, but that you allowed the word, the Lord to do it through you and that he trusted you enough with those people to share the gospel with them. I think that's the coolest thing ever. And I never want to, to, I never want to make myself unworthy of doing that. Um, so yeah, I, I say these things <laughs> in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. That's awesome. One thing we've, we've done as foreign missionaries come back, uh, we've asked them if they feel comfortable to share their testimony in the language that they learned on their mission. So if you feel comfortable, would you like to share your testimony? Yeah, for sure. Ah, nossa. Vai estar porque eu falei esse idioma, mas pelo menos um de vocês vai me entender. Eu vou. Ele não. Ele não. Enfim, eu sei, sem dúvida, que isso é a Igreja de Jesus Cristo, que realmente tudo, tudo que tudo sobre o Salvador é, é a verdade. Que ele cumpriu um propósito grande, um propósito maior para salvar cada um de nós individual, individualmente. Nem sei se eu falei isso certinho, mas... E ele nos ama, ele nos conhece um, pessoalmente. E eu sei, sem dúvida também, que nós temos um profeta vivo que recebe as revelações do Senhor por cada um de nós e que ele ele tem os chaves do sacerdócio que também existe o sacerdócio hoje em dia o mesmo poder que Abraão teve e que Adão também Ezequiel Isaías 
de que nós temos homens hoje em dia na Terra com esse mesmo poder. Poder para abençoar as famílias, poder para... Um, poder para falar em lugar de Deus. E eu, eu tenho a certeza que essas coisas são verdadeiras. E testifico em nome de Jesus Cristo. Amém. Amém. Clark, thanks again for coming. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. It's, uh, we're excited to see what happens going forward. Yeah. And make sure you keep us in the loop. Mm -hmm, for um, sure. Yeah, we wish you all the success and that you can serve and finish. We, we know you have the, the vontade, the will Isso. to finish. So it's good to see. Yeah. Yep. Well, <laughs> on that note, on that note, uh, feel free to like and subscribe if you want to hear other missionaries like Clark sharing their testimonies of the gospel and, and how their missions change their lives. And we'll post this on Sunday. Thanks, Clark.